This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 632, A Conversation with Drew Geraci. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. My name is Adam Chapman, and this is our Conversation with Drew Geraci episode. So I recently sat down with Drew to talk his time in comics. He's uh, as an inker, and he's worked on many different projects throughout the years. We talk about his years working with Greg Land on Birds of Prey, as well as Nightwing, and also working with Greg on Sojourn for CrossGen Comics. We talk about his time at CrossGen, the people he met there, uh, what it was like working for CrossGen, uh, what he's doing now, uh, his writing. He has uh, books, uh, sorry, novels that he's been writing that are available on Amazon. Uh, so it was a very fun conversation to have with Drew uh, to kind of, again, go through his career. Um, I'm always excited to talk to anyone from the cross-gen years to talk about what that was like working on those books. Um, it's a very candid and uh, interesting conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. You can always email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like and, like and rate the show on Facebook. Sorry. Like the show on Facebook. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Subscribe to it on iTunes and also listen to us on Stitcher. Without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation with Drew. Drew, welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm glad to have glad to be on. Absolutely. Well, it's good to have you on. So I like to kind of always go back to the to the way back past and what was your first interaction with comics when you were younger or what made you a fan if you ever were a fan as a kid? And most people usually are, but uh, I had the I had the odd luck of, in nineteen seventy four uh, being the right age as a kid when the first Marvel Treasury edition came out with Spider-Man. You know, that was, you know, you're a little kid, so proportionally it's a huge, giant comic. And <laughs> it, uh, it it just, if you read that as a little kid, and uh, it, you would never not be a comic fan the rest of your life. It's it was so, it, it's like every little window panel, you know, with the drawings in it, it was like looking outside your window and seeing all this amazing stuff going on. And uh, I mean, you had, you had cocaine, Ramit, and all those others uh, represented in the Treasury edition. So I just, I must have reread that a billion times. So then I, you know, when I came, I was in Florida with my grandparents staying the summer. And then when I came up to, back to Pittsburgh, I hit Family Record, uh, National Record Mart, which sold records and comics, and they had spinner racks. My dad said, uh, "Hey, get whatever you want." You know, so I, but I'm not a greed head, so I only got I got twelve, which was three dollars, but I could have gotten like double that if I chose to. <laughs> but uh, but I, I really kind of cherry picked, and uh, I have a spinner rack here now, and I've I have those same comics on the spinner rack. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it, well, also I like I I found out I like to draw a lot, so I was drawing my own comics. It's just fed on itself i would read a comic and then i would draw a seven page comic uh with letters page and uh price on the outside all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome now when, when you're doing that as a kid who are the artists that you're trying to emulate or are you emulating anybody i don't know if i'm emulating anybody i just uh, i see certain i saw certain scenes i loved you know whether it was rich buckler or kirby or you know uh neil adams was a little i think in the mid 70s i don't remember him doing a lot of stuff i think he had done his batman and was doing more continuity uh studio stuff but uh i mean i would just see a scene that i would really like uh in a uh you know in a steve ditko spider-man story and, and just nick little parts of it you know like when he fought the sinister six and you know, of course i had to draw my own version of it and uh, it's, uh, you know, it was fun. I just really, it's just, you know, it's weird. I have almost no memories of 
prior to reading comic books. So I guess it was one of the things that made me self-actualized for the first time ever. <laughs> you know? Now, when did you kind of stay, you know, kind of stay a comic book fan as you were growing up, or did you eventually hit that kind of phase where people start to kind of put it away and forget about it for a while, or did you continue straight on through? I held on to it, and uh, but I, a lot of people who are millennials, and you know, this isn't a slight or anything. They they, they probably don't understand that, uh, or uh, can't probably think we're BSing when uh, people my age say. You had to be closeted if you were a comics fan. It's like I, you know, I had girlfriends and stuff, but in my room, I had my comics literally in the closet, and uh, because it wasn't cool, it meant you were, uh, you know, it meant you were a wimp, you were a fruit, whatever they, you know, mm-hmm. name they want to call you. And uh, but I still kept getting them even after I had, you know, girlfriends and stuff like that. Although I was a very cheap date. <laughs> I had one girlfriend in high school, and her dad used to half scold her about her being a cheap date because <laughs> I was probably spending as much on comics as it was on her we just hung out a lot me and her but uh, I, I kept going until I don't know it was like 1986 uh, uh, I, it's a long story I got in a bad relationship I got rid of all my comics uh, because I was I'll be honest I mean, it, was, it was real stupid like out of a movie real dramatic and uh, it, I basically sold all my comics and then uh, you know at uh, Ides down in Pittsburgh, and they gave me a decent price, but although a lot of the stuff they already had, but uh, I just had this attitude of like, well, I'm 22 now, and I can't really afford the comics now. I'm actually living on my own. I moved out, and when the bills hit, that's when I had it stop by. And also, comics were sort of at a what is it, Nader or Nader uh, around yeah. 1985 with Secret Wars two. Mm. It's like that's that's after like Miller and Simons and all those guys left, uh, and yeah. You know, it started getting boring and like I said I just had bills to pay and I had a dream to get into comics and then I just got a real dour artistic day where I threw all my stuff away or the stuff that I drew away and that's my only regret I don't regret like you know selling off my like tattered Avengers 4 and stuff like that but the stuff that could never be recreated is uh, that's my really big regret but uh, and I, I just also comics were kind of eh, they were coming uh, I, I don't know. They, I just had to pay bills more than I did have to buy comics. So I, I, uh, I started over again a little bit at a time. You know, I only had a couple bucks each month I would set aside, and then uh, you know, I started picking them up again. So what, what were you doing at that time in terms of work? Because as you said, you, you threw away kind of your artistic stuff. So like, what were you doing at the time? You know, you're living on your own. I guess probably one of the first times in your life. You're kind of you know living in your own place, uh, making ends meet. Like, what were you what were you doing at the time? I started off at a. I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, and I, after I graduated a few months later, uh, there's a uh, uh, there was a family friend, believe it or not, her name was Carolyn Franklin, and she ran an in-house advertising agency for uh, hazardous waste disposal. <laughs> <laughs> that was the company. It was called IT, not ITT, but it was. Uh, they did toxic waste disposal, and I did the in-house uh, propaganda. I mean, promotional stuff. <laughs> and, uh, so you know, it, it, that was okay. It gave me a taste of what's going on. But I mean, you know, like I said, I I probably was paid a little more than I should have been, but I wasn't paid a ton. It just uh, and when I got more to advertising, it's just the growing up in the reality of being in comics. It seemed like a dumb kid's dream. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, it's like I could have started a lot earlier, mm-hmm. but I always I. 
I just shot myself down so much. I just didn't, didn't have the confidence. And I thought, oh, well, that's just a ridiculous dream. And back then, you had to move to New York City. And New York City in the 70s and 80s was, oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard so many stories, you know, cars getting stripped the minute people, you know, enter a building and stuff like that. And, uh, uh, but so I, I just didn't want to move to New York City. And uh, then it wasn't until. You know, uh, the Image Boys came along, and Rob Liefeld lowered the bar for all of us. So I thought, <laughs> there's no way I cannot get in this industry, and uh, I did. And uh, you know, it, it took about three years, uh, evenings and weekends. I I quit my higher paying job to take a minimum wage job, so I'd have evenings and weekends free. And uh, eventually, it paid off, but it was a lot of hours. So like. Know, learning the hard way. <laughs> so, but now, uh, when you break in, I mean, so you're working. I mean, you're primarily primarily known as as an inker. How did that kind of come about? That kind of shift. I've always loved inker since I was a kid. I could tell even the best penciler could be mauled by a horrible inker, like a, like a, just a rush job inker. And uh, I've seen, and I, I've always noticed that, you know, since I was a kid, you know, I've always noticed like, and also the different moods they give, like Klaus Janssen did for Daredevil, and uh, you know, Bob Layton gave to Iron Man and stuff like that, and then you had, of course, Terry Austin from X Men and all. This. I just remembered if I would see some of the same uh, pencilers with a, a different anchor or a, a rushed anchor, uh, it would look rotten. It would look, it would be something. I wouldn't have bought if I wasn't a collector at the time. I, I used to collect, you know, I would start off buying Hulk with issue like 245, so then I got to get all the back issues and all that. But <laughs> I, I no longer have back issue items with all the books I had. You know, there were some runs that I, there's no way I'm going back to them. <laughs> so it was just a collector mentality. But I, uh, uh, what was the question? <laughs> well, just, so, yeah, and like, how did you become an inker? Because, again, that's primarily how I, how I knew you, especially. Like, I first kind of came aware of you as, a, as an inker. So I'm just curious how you kind of make that shift, because a lot of people seem to want to be the pencilers. And that, so I'm always interested to talk to people who are inkers or colorists, because those are, not that they're thankless jobs, but they're often overlooked, unfortunately, but they're so important to the process. Well, they are thankless also, but... Uh, um, <laughs> I know. I just, you know, I uh, for one thing, I can, you know, uh, I like penciling, but it's I'm way too slow to make a living off of it. I'm just, it's I just came to realize that. And what I did is uh, I would get samples. Uh, there was another guy who was going to break in the industry with me. I had an ad in the Comics Buyer's Guide, which uh, I don't know if you remember. It was an old newspaper that came out every week about comics. Oh yeah. And uh, it was around 1990 or 91, and uh, I had a, you get a free ad with every, you know with every issue if you have a subscription. So I put out an ad for like you know uh, Inker looking for penciler to collaborate. And this one guy down in Florida, you know, I he sent me a few pages, and third one was like unfinished, and I inked the one that was pretty good, and it, it was you know pretty awful actually, but. It's, but I knew what graphic, how to do things graphically. Instead of doing shading with a pencil, I knew how to make things black and white, uh, you know, with a fine point and stuff like that. And then I met Dave Johnson at uh, uh, what is it, uh, Dragon Con back in '94. He gave me some photocopies of Chain Gang War, which he did. And he, he and those guys, Jin guys, had that real strong, hardcore graphic style black you know brian stofrey's pretty much invented it for uh, as, as the norm mm-hmm. uh you know where it's real stark you know it's either black or it's white but there's no grays you know in his works and so i ended up uh you know based on the overlays i inked over the pencils 
uh, photocopies he sent, uh, he liked them. And uh, so he, I became his assistant for seven months. And then uh, somebody from Justice League, uh, the anchor, left. And, uh, and I sent my samples to that editor via Dave. I knew Dave uh, – Dave knew the pencilers, what I'm saying. And then, uh, so I sent my samples off the next day. This is before JPEGs now. So I FedEx on my own dime, you know, an envelope of photocopies. And, uh, uh, that, you know, Brian Augustine liked it. It was on a Friday that he looked at him and it, he says, you'll get pages on Monday. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, I was pretty, you know, in all fairness, I did some good samples. I mean, cause I just, I had practiced so much, you know, it's, I just finally had a decent penciler to ink. Mm-hmm. You know? What was so. now? What, what is that like? I mean, to go from suddenly you're working on you know a pretty you know big t- name title at least. I mean, everyone a lot of people know Justice League. So now you're working on Justice League of America. What was that like to suddenly be the anchor on that book? Like, how did you feel? You know, did, was that the kind of the first you feeling like you made it, or like you know what does that feel like when you take that on? Well, it was definitely a high. I was just like, oh my god! I, I, I did have my name in a couple of the issues that I worked with Dave on. It was an image book called Super Patriot, Liberty and Justice. It was oh, yeah. the second, second miniseries. The first one sold crazy during the boom years, and Dave penciled and inked it. But the second one didn't sell for crap because the boom had burst. And uh, so, But I mean, he was kind enough to pay me and give me credit in the book. So that was that was the first thing that blows me away. Is, uh, uh, and then, uh, you know, because I would keep opening and closing the – the cover to see my name over and over again, like as if it were going to fade the next time I do it. <laughs> Childish, but you know, that's, you know, when you're a kid, it's like your first love is comics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, whatever your hobby is, if you're really intense, but uh, this was not the Grant Morrison justice league. This was the, just about to be canceled justice league about issue one Oh three through one Oh nine. And it had, I remember inking and thinking, I wish I could ink the Justice League someday because it was all these holdovers like Obsidian and uh, 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 Crimson Fox and Metamorpho and all that. <laughs> and uh, just like all these, you know, and Ice and Fire and Ice, who I just, I was so sick of them by then, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, they didn't have any regulars from their own books because they didn't want to screw up continuity, which is silly because you could just say this story takes place before this. One, you know, and uh, so I did that, and then I got fired off of it because Chuck Boykevich didn't like my inks. It was like two pay, two. All the letters came in. They loved my inks. My editors loved my inks. You know, Chuck was belly aching. He wanted me to switch to a quill, and I was doing a brush, and I did it. I did a shittiest job. It's like one hundred five is. If you want to seek out and publicly embarrass me, buy Justice League America one hundred five <laughs> and show it to me because it is the worst piece of dreck I've ever done in my life and so after a while I just stopped taking his calls and I went back to doing a brush and it was a lot better but then I didn't know he decided to get me kicked off and so it was like halfway during issue but Allison Morales uh, she set me up with Jason Armstrong to do the Ray like the next week which and it was on its last legs you know, uh, but people who want to break in comics, please note that you're not going to start off on Batman or Superman. You're going to start off on a book that's six months away from being canceled, <laughs> and, and that makes perfect sense because you know you're not you may not be ready for the big time. So uh, you know, make your mistakes back then when no one's really watching you. And uh, so yeah, after that, I you know we did about six months of the array, and then it, Jason Armstrong sort of drew like uh, Gaijin Studio, but a little lighter, a little more cartoonier, and. Uh, so after that ended, uh, we went our separate ways for whatever reasons. You know, editors will just 
fine. They'll just need an inker or they'll just need a penciler for something mm -hmm. uh, that they've already hired others for. So I floated around. I did like some Legion of Superhero pages and fill-in of Legion and uh, over like Lee Motor and Mike Collins. And that was a lot of fun, you know, because then I could, I was learning, I could insert, I could insert myself a little more in those. Uh, and back then, you didn't have JPEGs and all that stuff, so you you could go crazy. Like I went like a few issues before Chuck fired me. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like he had no way of contacting me. I, well, I did stop returning his phone calls, but I mean back then it's like there was only you know maybe email and stuff like that. But uh, I didn't you know mess with that much. So <laughs> I think but, the uh, I think the first time I saw your name on a book uh, was in '96 or '97. Um, it was what issue twelve of the Iron Man from the Heroes Reborn years. Um, hey. <laughs> and because I, I was a fan, I mean, I was I was probably like twelve or thirteen years old. Not to date myself as being too much younger, but um, and I was a big fan of that book. And then I remember seeing those names because that again, when you're younger, you 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 take you took hold of everyone's name. Um, so I remember that's the first time I actually remember seeing you on a book. And I, I guess wow. you, you were you were one of I think a few inkers on that book. Do you have any recollections yeah. of working on that book? Well, you know, it's interesting is I was wondering how. Did you find out later that I worked on a book? Because I seem to remember being credited to uh, the inks being credited to uh, the studio, whatever their uh, Jim Lee's studio is. I can't, like that. I, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember now because I know that I knew – maybe, maybe it was after that or and maybe yeah. I'm just superimposing it on that book. But it was maybe even around that period. Or something. Yeah, that's yeah. possible, yeah. Because I remember I thought, oh, I might even want an Iron Man book because Iron Man is my all-time favorite since – you know, uh, forever. Uh, and, and, and I just remember it said something studios inks. So I do, it was like a jam piece, but, uh, I, I loved it. Though. It was neat. I did, uh, Terry Shoemaker did the pencils. And he's just amazing. I'd love to see more of him. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, so that was neat, but I mean, I would already been doing other stuff since before then. So that was just sort of like, Hey Drew, we need three pages done. And, uh, you know, I'm a page a day kind of guy. So the one page had Galactus on it, which was great. Oh, yeah. And then the other one had the Hulk and Iron Man. And then the third had uh, Hulk and the Iron Man, or, you know, doing something else. But uh, so it was, that was fun. It was like, it was the first time I ever worked in a Wildstorm style, which is completely alien from the Gaijin studio style, you know, which, you know, Gaijin uses bold black and white graphics, you know, big you know, spots of dark, kind of like, like Mignola would. And uh, you know, Jim Lee stuff is much more noodly tiny lines uh and just you know exaggerated lines but uh and, you know they're both legit it's just that that was kind of interesting to, to work on that and uh but i kept the guys in stuff for a few years until later on i got other pencils that just weren't it, i knew it wasn't going to be simpatico hmm. you know but but uh yeah iron man you said you said 90 yeah okay it was a 96 that's right is when the heroes were born came but i started in 95 it was uh, five issues of JLA. Five, you know. The, yeah, I did a bunch of, you know, three helping out getting the books done. You know, kind of stuff with a lot of titles. For sure. So. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, just looking at some of uh, the stuff you've done in that period, I guess there was a lot of kind of bouncing around from here and there. I mean, as you've mentioned, um, I guess you did do an, one issue of uh, Grant Morrison's JLA. I, actually, I did two issues. I was did forty, forty, and the double sized uh, finale forty one. Which has all the heroes on the cover, you know, all those, uh, you know, the, it was like the finale. Oh yes, so, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and like 40, so was it nice to come back and actually be able to show the real characters? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah. Well, I almost wanted to call Chuck Boykiewicz and said, look, man, they invited me back to the table. They didn't invite you, sucker. <laughs> I don't care if he hears this. So. Um, now, in the in that kind of that late '90s period, when you are kind of jumping around from book to book, did you like kind of being the the, the guy who would kind of be not the fill in per se, but kind of the the fixer, the guy who they needed in, in a pinch, or were you at that time kind of waiting for more of an ongoing gig so you could really flex your muscles? Well, the dream was an ongoing gig, an ongoing gig, but I did love the variety. You know, uh, there was, uh, you know, I mean, I would do like a page over what is it, Phil Jimenez on an issue of Legion. It was this one Valentine's Day issue that uh, just had like, it was a jam of all kinds of pencils and inkers. And, and I did like that, you know, but I had to remember, uh, there was some jobs. I did a Jim Aparo job and he was far, I mean, he was, it, it wasn't a Jim Aparo from before. He was up in years and the stuff was very, very loose, and I interpreted it. And most of the pages came out good, but some of it I inked way too fat, like a Joe Sinnott type thickness. And mm-hmm. I should have, uh, so I should have taken more time and you know try and study how he would have inked it. You know, so I've got mixed reviews on it. It was in like a Batman Chronicles mm-hmm. issue, like a short story. So, but uh, yeah, I just had some time, uh, and I called. Uh, uh, Jordan Gorfinkel or somebody or Darren Vincenzo or one of the guys in the bad office and said, you know, I'd love to ink some old schooler guy like Salvo Sam or somebody because, well, we have this Jim Aparo. And I'm like, oh my God. But uh, the only th- only hap was um, there's some things Jim kind of scribbled and indicated like he'd have the Huntress, but her hand wasn't finished. It was almost like a loose-fitting glove that was three sizes too large. Hmm. So, uh, so I had I would go in. I'm good at drawing hands because I I have them in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I would just like hold you know I'd hold the pose or something, and uh, you know just flip it if it needed to be. And then uh, and I have small womanly hands, so <laughs> so it fit just right. You know, <laughs> so I know that sounds sexist, but I for a guy I have very small hands. So, but. Uh, Anyway, I'm, I'm I'm curious how you got the how you how did you so you, you're around you're working on all these different titles and all these different kind of issues. How do you then end up being the you know primary anchor in the first year or so of Birds of Prey? Oh yeah, actually good. I'm glad you brought it up. Actually, there was a bridge to that, and uh, I had I was doing all these fill-in stuff, and Dusty Abel, who did this really good-selling Superman annual around 1991 or 1992, uh, he was a real hot property. Uh, and I remember seeing his pencils when I was assisting Dave Johnson on his Elseworlds. Uh, it was Elseworlds where the Nazis won World War II, but Superman was still around. But there was some kind of odd uh, detente or however you would say. Uh, you know, it's so... The story was kind of bloated, so I didn't really uh, worry about it too much. <laughs> but... Uh, um, yeah, so what happened is I got a call on a Thursday and Mike Carlin. I was like, oh, my God, Mike Carlin, you know. And uh, he asked me, he said Dusty Abel asked me to ink him based on the Super Patriot stuff I did in the beginning. So and I, it's weird because I remember seeing the pencils in the facts that Dusty got, I mean that Dave got because back then everything was faxes. And uh, so so when I finally got those pages, I was like, oh, my God, I'm working on these pages that years ago I saw in a fax. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, the eyes of the world are upon me because, <laughs> you know, everyone loved the opening sequence where, like, Superman is sunbathing. And, it, you know, it's just Clark in his shorts and he's on a chaise, you know, one of those outside lounges chairs. And, uh, 
and then you pull back and you find out that he's you know on the moon you know so uh and stuff like that it was, it's it's just very dramatically done and so uh I, I i started it and i got a little nervous because oh anyway it was 200 pages it was four issues of elseworlds uh, and basically, the entire summer of '96 would be spent doing that. So I sent my wife. I said, "Wife, said, my wife aside, and asked, well, you know, if this, you know, this may be my big breakout. You know, uh, I'll probably have to work, you know, seven days a week and not see much of you this uh, summer of '96." And she totally accepted it because she knew, you know, that I was being straight with her. So. Uh, yeah, so I'd only see her for like dinner. <laughs> wow! And uh, yeah, she was kind enough to make dinner, and then uh, but I worked. Uh, what was it? I'd, I would work about uh, eight or nine in the morning. Roll right out of bed, go to work. You know, after I'd made some coffee, and then I would take a lunch break for like half hour, and then I'd take a dinner break with my wife. You know, maybe an hour and a half or so, and then I'd go work till uh, two, three in the morning. You know, so and then uh, that's. Uh, I wouldn't have woken up if our dog at the time wasn't on a schedule. He's the one who would wake me up. He would bark. <laughs> and I'd always take him out to pee. You know, it was very routine. And uh, so after I did that, uh, uh, after I did that Force series, I was pretty much golden, you know, with uh, DC. And I had several offers coming to me. And then I got some offers at the bat office. And then later on, Jordan Gorfinkel, who was one of the many bat, edit- bat editors under Denny O'Neill's watch, uh, he said, hey, you know, I got this Batman-related title, Birds of Play- Prey with Black Canary and all this other stuff. And I said, I would love that. And uh, it wasn't that I followed them that much. It's just that doing a monthly series has been my dream forever, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, I've always wanted to be one of those guys who did like five years of a book. But it just never seems to happen for whatever, for various reasons. So. so what was it like working with Greg back then? You know what? He was great. We had a much better long-distance uh, relationship than we did next to each other cross-gen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like if you meet a you know you meet a partner online and you get along great and you actually meet each other and it's like uh oh you know then you get buyer's regret. So, uh, but I mean because personality-wise we were just so far adrift. But we you know we we worked it. But after the first year I quit Sojourn because I just couldn't take him anymore. So and uh, but I mean. On Birds of Prey and Nightwing, he was kicking major ass. He was really hungry, and uh, but at Sojourn, he kind of was starting to repeat a lot of the faces and figures over and over again because he, he he did a lot of photo light boxing type stuff. But he wouldn't take his own photos, which drove me crazy. Like he did in the beginning, yeah, hmm. but at Cross Gen, he got really kind of lazy with it. So. Hmm. Uh, he bust my balls and I'd be like, hey, you know, that cover for issue 11 is the same. You know, the bad guy looks exactly the same in the last page of the previous issue. So, <laughs> so I was embarrassed, embarrassed as all hell anyway. So, but I talked to Bart Sears, who's art director, and he put me on, he made me fill in guy on Cross Gen again, which I loved. You know, I got the Yannick Paquette, who was just like awesome. And, uh, and I got to do a few fill-ins over Luke Ross uh, for Way of the Rat, which is Jeff Johnson and Chuck Dixon's book. Oh, yeah. and, and Luke did an amazing Jeff Johnson impersonation, so it really kept the feel. And then uh, I ended up on Route 60, 666 with uh, Carl Moline and Tony Bedard and really enjoyed myself. And then after that is when the layoffs started. 
So, so I'll get back to question in a second. I just I want to one thing I, I don't want to miss out on was going back to JLA for a second because obviously you were back on JLA and you got to ink some of the issues of Tower of Babel, which is obviously a very big storyline and very memorable storyline when Mark Wade was writing the book. What was it like working over Howard Porter? Uh, well, first I'll tell you uh, that that uh, Tower Tower of Babel is coming out again in trade paperback collection. I just saw it on the. Uh, I saw it on the solicits. I'm like, bring it on. <laughs> I need some internet. I need, you know, I need a, what do you call a car payment or something? You know, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, uh, you know what? I was working on Nightwing and I was in a studio with Tony Harris and Andrew uh, Robinson and a couple other guys. And I, I had my dog with me and I was walking down the street and then this one guy, come, one of Jim Royal, who's no longer with us, he was an anchor, he uh, called out and said, hey, Howard Porter's on the phone for you. And I'm like, what? So I just started Nightwing. I was real excited about it because me and Greg, you know, stylistically were just a home run. You know, we're just, we're both in the, you know, just in the, what do you call, in the pocket. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then I got offered to do a JLA because John Dell went down to CrossGen. So JLA was the number one book, even even at that time, you know, it stayed number one for like 50 issues, which is I've never heard of. And uh, so I, I said, yeah, right away, because uh, I know uh, I knew that it was going to be more money. I, I wish I was able to do both that and Nightwing. I mean, mm-hmm. I did a lot of Nightwing, but I would have loved to have done like a long run of light, Nightwing. But I, as a freelancer, something you got to go with the money is, you know, for sure. That's, you know, I don't like to think that way, but once I, the reality of it, I thought, well, I better go where the money is. <laughs> what about Nightwing? And just in general, what do you think Nightwing? Like, what did it bring out in your in your inks that you think that really worked well or really suited you for the character? I mean, obviously, you worked with different pencilers, but I mean, generally speaking, like, what do you, what do you think of you? Nightwing brought out. Oh well, for one thing, uh, Chuck Dixon is a fantastic writer. He's probably like one of my favorite writers, uh, and, and so the story's never dull. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, he could do shoot 'em ups, and he could also do very uh, tender moments too, like Birds of Prey number eight, which gets start Nightwing, and it was a romance comic between uh, him and uh, Nightwing and Oracle, and that's all it was. It wasn't like a supervillain crashing through the window, disrupting everything. It was just a nice, uh, you know, like a breather for both of the characters, and uh, and then Greg just re- it must have tapped something into Greg because he really did some. Uh, Amazing imagery. I mean, I guess he, you know, he liked working with uh, Chuck too. And, uh, and then when you know when I came in, it was almost like we were all busting our butt. I mean, it was like we were firing on all cylinders. And I can't. I don't know how it began. It's just that Greg handed me these. You know, he mailed me these fantastic pages, and I was like, I it sort of took them as a challenge. And then I, I, I got myself better at it. You know, I just, it just, it made me grow beyond just doing Gaijin style. And I love Gaijin studios, but that's not, it's not an all-purpose inking style. Mm. You know, for, you know, you're not going to ink Jim Lee in a, in a Gaijin style, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it kind of actually gave birth to, like, what my actual style was to be. So that was kind of cool. I mean, I did a fill-in Birds of Prey. It was a not a feeling. One shot, Birds of Prey, it was like Batgirl and Black Canary, a double shot, and uh, originally Wayne Fosher was supposed to ink it, because the paste up on the on the first page had his name under mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, 
And then similarly, similarly, I turned down Young Justice, the two-part, uh, uh, you know, what do you call double-sized books. Uh, Wayne ended up making those. <laughs> so you just Dexter Vise and I have traded off jobs several times. So it's kind of interesting to think about what would mm-hmm. what would be, but. That that one Birds of Prey one shot got me in good to when they finally got a series going. That uh, you know me and Greg were the team. So now before we get to cross gen because I do want to get there, um, a question. So when when you were working on Nightwing and then you take JLA, how different was it to adapt or get used to the fact that you know you were you were getting used to a certain aesthetic? I mean, using Birds of Prey and then Nightwing, still kind of Gotham centric type of stories in terms of the characters and then you go to doing something much bigger and grander with JLA how did that kind of push you in terms of your inking to really expand and how was that to match Porter's inks at the time or his pencils oh. well for one thing uh, I wasn't since I had inked a lot of tiny stuff for Dave Johnson it, 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 and Howard's stuff was very uh, it was very detailed yet it was still very uh, black and white, you know. It was very, you know, like hard, sharp shadows uh, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, what? it really wasn't that hard. But oh my God, Howard tried to kill me with all that detail. It's <laughs> like he filled every page with tiny, tiny little details, you know. And uh, and but I mean, it did work though because he was doing that story with Mageddon, who was like this, you know, I don't know what you call this universal monstrosity that. You know, was taking down all the JLA and all these other heroes that showed up, and uh, and then with the Tower of Babel, uh, he really tapped into you know uh, the importance of uh, the story and how it started off, which I'm not going to spoil. Twenty you know, year old spoilers. I'm not gonna <laughs> well, it's coming out in trade, so people can buy it and experience it now, right? Yeah, but you know, I I actually liked it, and what's cool is Howard really loved what I did. I mean, he was the one who recommended me to take over for John Dell. So I then I started to get a sense of, hey, you know, I I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm like at that point, I started to feel like I fe- I fear no penciler. So, uh, <laughs> but I did a lot of rapidograph inking over Howard because his stuff was so tiny. And then, uh, but you know, for some of the bigger effects, I'd use a brush. But uh, mostly, a lot of rapidograph. And, and then, when I was in a studio, uh, my friend Ray Snyder, who's inked uh, Craig Hamilton and a few other people, uh, he, I would I would pay him to do my backgrounds on some of the stuff. <laughs> so uh, you know, he kind of ghosted for me, and uh, it all worked out. But because uh, he had a similar style. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was fun, and then, but what, what was frustrating was we didn't get the finished Tower of Babel because uh, what happened was Howard Porter was offered a, a pretty good job in Manhattan that was uh, it was based on a website and it had to do with art and music and stuff like that, and it, it was a pretty nice uh, chunk of change. So he went there, and we we didn't get the finish because the penciler who was finishing the book he had his own anchor, and uh, so uh, I went back to Nightwing, but. I, what would have happened is Howard and I and J.M. DeMattius would have gone on to a Superman title. Mm. But it just – so that was a uh, greatest stories that never was. <laughs> so speaking so of stories that did happen, so then how did CrossGen come into your picture? How did – when did they call? They called right now. <laughs> I was going to say. So how about that? <laughs> Shut up, you. Hold on a second. Can you pause this second? I actually have to take yeah. this call. Yeah, of course. Hold on a second. So cross called. Yeah, I was sitting at my table, and it was, 
about five, six or so in the afternoon. And uh, I got a phone call. It was a, what do you call a conference call with Andy Smith and John Dell. And they're telling me about CrossGen. And I had read about it in Wizard Magazine back when, well, I loved Hero uh, Magazine. It was much better, but Wizard ended up, you know, uh, being the only magazine. Mm. Uh, the, um, but they called, so I knew of CrossGen, and I remember buying the first uh, sampler, and I really, the art was beautiful, but the stories were awful, because there were supposed to be like four vignettes of different books, and it was real pompous and drawn out, and whoa, you know, it's, you know, spectacular, like Ragnarok is a walk in the park by comparison, <laughs> but uh, it just seemed real, uh, what do you call, angst-ridden, and, and they had an artist, uh, Oh, what's his name? He was some Italian guy who intimidated uh, uh, a lot of people like Neil Adams and that. But anyway, uh, he drew these – oh, he imitated Buscema, but he would like really draw out the faces, just a little overdo it. Like everybody was like – every panel over gesticulating. <laughs> so uh, I just remember, I think this is pompous, you know. And then, but I bought the first a couple comics of – there were four comics that came out. Uh, a month and I bought them the first couple issues of each just to see what was going on you know, what would draw John down there and Brandon Peterson and all these other people and I loved the art but the stories were pretty lethargic to me and mm. uh, so anyway they call and I'm like oh wow I'm kind of shocked and then uh, I said but you know I'm doing this Nightwing thing right now and uh, uh, oh excuse me I have to jump back what happened was before I got the call, Greg Land got the call. Huh. So he was already going down there. So, But I was still tight. I was going to stay on his anchor on Nightwing. And it was a guy named Kevin McCarthy, I think, was the penciler afterward. He didn't last that long. I don't even know if he, how long his career was. I just, you know, he came along and he was okay. I could have stayed. But uh, I said, I hung up and I said, no thanks. And then I told my wife and she says, weren't you just bitching like yesterday that you wish there was a comics company that could you know uh help elevate the you know the the industry and stuff like that if you had a bunch of people under one roof and i was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i called back and they wanted an answer but i said well they're gonna fly me down i said well if you fly me down you gotta fly my wife down because she's gotta know what she's in for and they were like fine i think it was just like a pissing match to see if they would spend for the fair you know they probably get got that from everybody <laughs> and i i was there when steve epting was there and you know got to meet him and uh, uh brian hitch actually was there one time and he was sought after but he chose not to and uh he's in england and uh i guess he was happy the way he was and uh so i went there and uh you know i spent a couple days uh, i i stayed the night at john dell's house uh because uh, of being my wife, because that was sort of a thing that they set up is like if you show up, you get to stay at one of the artists or writers' house to host you. So it sort of gave you that family feel, feeling, mm -hmm. and it was kind of neat because I got to you know John Dell I never met, but I, I knew him and talked to him on the phone, and I got to meet his wife and his you know his little kids who are now in college now. <laughs> <laughs> So that was like when Paul Pelletier joined, he stayed with me and my wife. Oh, really? You know, we had him over. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was up in Boston, I think it was, or something like that. Uh, and um, so it was – that was kind of neat. There was sort of a uh, a family feel, and it's like a lot of the wives would go out and uh, do stuff or, or the whole – you know, husbands and wives or wives and husbands uh, worked on the books. 
did uh, we you know, we do things together like uh, Mark Alessi would have a bowling night and we all go bowling and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, he we had little treats like that, and it was a salary job. That's the one thing. I love being a freelancer, and I was doing good stuff as a freelancer. But in the back of my mind, I don't know what kind of trauma or whatever the hell happened to me, but uh, I had this fear of not getting another call, and I wanted something steady, and CrossGen was steady. I just like, well, I won't be a freelancer; I'll be an employee. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was that was it. And I got the you know the one thing is I really it was great meeting like all these guys I only knew in a credits box, you know. <laughs> like uh, you know, like Butch Geis. I mean, I nearly—he came after me, but I nearly had a heart attack meeting him. It's like God. He was—he's been my hero forever. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah. So anyway, we Ron Mars was writing Sojourn, and uh, uh, and I think unless he was really into Greg Land, and he really said he was the best artist there, which I disrespect because we had Steve Epting also, and you know, mm-hmm. got you know Jimmy Chong. You know, I mean, guys were really original and didn't rely so much on photo reference. But anyway, uh, you know, Greg sort of got a big head, and uh, because people loved the way he drew chicks, man. And <laughs> and I, would, I remember re-inking pages of the same. He used Faith Hill and uh, what's her name? The original Buffy the Vampires, Christy Swanson. He used. Their two faces in photos so much, and it was ridiculous. I felt like I was in Groundhog Day with Bill Murray waking up to the same thing, inking the same friggin' faces <laughs> and backgrounds. So uh, I, I was very unhappy there with that. But uh, you know, hanging out with people was kind of cool. I mean, fellow having all these fellow artists under one roof was really great. I mean, For sure. uh, yeah, yeah. But we all worked hard. I mean, we all put in a lot. We had to do a page day. And you, you took a photocopy, led by 17, or no, 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 uh, you know, 8 by 10 or whatever uh, mm-hmm. paper comes out, and you, you would tap it on, tack it on the wall of your cubicle, you know, and then we could all look at each other's work and stuff like that. And also, it let the other writers and artists know what was going on, you know, that kind of stuff. It was more of a, it was sort of continuity, but it was also kind of like, hey, cool, this latest page, you know, Epting did is awesome. You know, Mike Perkins is nice too. Mm-hmm. And it, he was—he wasn't really anybody on this side of the pond, and uh, he really like blossomed. And he just did amazing stuff. You know, he started off inking Butch Geis, and then he ended up penciling, and then now he's a hot penciler at Marvel. Absolutely. Well, so here's a question: So you're working with all these other, you know, artists and writers, and everyone's kind of working in the same areas together, which is obviously very different. Um, were there any particular things that you think you picked up? in terms of your inking style that you kind of saw what other people were doing, not just on the page after it's printed, but actually seeing them do it as they're kind of working on it that you ended up integrating into your own work? You know what? Not not really in my case. I mean, I've always already kind of settled in my style. In fact, I had a lot of, you know, the young colorers say, wow, man, I always wanted to work with you. And I'm like, I just started a couple of years ago. <laughs> so I, I, the JLA thing is what really got me the most notice. And uh, so uh, I didn't really, it didn't change me, but uh, we had fantastic anchors there like Tom Simmons and uh, some other guys that uh, I can't think of, I can't say all their names at once. Like Don, uh, ah, I'm, I'm blanking out here all of a sudden. Yeah, they're so great. I forgot about their names, but uh, <laughs> We had a very friendly competition. I mean, like, we would be like, oh, shoot, that guy did an awesome job. I got to work awesomer. <laughs> <laughs> that was very much true, though. All the anchors were very competitive in a friendly way. 
you know, because we just we all wanted to outdo each other. Mm-hmm. So that that was cool. This is a kind of a weird question to ask, but I mean, in a lot of ways, when I when I think of Greg Land, I do think of as Sojourn kind of being when the Greg Land that we think of now started um, in terms of the, that overall visual style. Did, did it seem like it was that quick of an evolution and, and a change from what you've been seeing when you were working with him before to what happened when he went to, to CrossGen and started working on Sojourn? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I, I quit Sojourn because uh, I mean, we'd worked for almost two years and uh uh, the, we did a uh, Sojourn preview. It wasn't a number one or whatever. They call it a prequel. And that, mm-hmm. So there's no numbering on it. So it's a, or it wasn't even a zero numbering. It was just its own thing. The double-sized prequel, which had to do with uh, the bad guy, Mordath. You know, it doesn't sound like anything like Mordar. And, uh, <laughs> and they lived at Middleland, which sounds a lot like Middle Earth, but that's just me. And the main character was Arwen. I didn't know anything about Lord of the Rings. And when the first movie came out, I got the DVD, and I heard there was a woman named Arwen. I stopped watching. I was like, I am so damn disgusted at Ron Mars. It's mm. like he had a rip-off so much. And uh, I, I just uh, – that soured me a bit. But after the third issue – I was enjoying it at first, but after the third issue, I'm like, I'm seeing a lot of these faces and uh, figures I saw back in – Nightwing and Birds of Prey. It's like I mean, he has his favorite stock images that he light boxes. Like he literally cuts and pastes and then light boxes uh, the images. And uh, and I just saw he kept doing over. And at that point, it, Birds of Prey he did awesome on, and he did really great on Nightwing. But even then, I started to see repetition. And then by by Sojourn time, the first issue he, the. The prequel was awesome. I mean, he really busted his ass, did a fantastic job. It had to do with the bad guy, solely taken in the past, and he really did some stuff I'd never seen before, and it was great. And uh, the first issue was kind of eh, and then the second issue was not bad. And the third issue, I'm like kind of bored. I'm like, I'm seeing this face again, I'm seeing this pose again. And at that point, he made it clear that he wanted the the resale value of the pages because people liked Arwen. You know, they like the hot blonde chick, you know, that looked like, you know, Faith Hill and or Christy Swanson. So, and then he started to become, uh, I don't, he really got a big head. And, you know, I was very, the one downside is if you're an anchor, you had to take it over to Penciler to approve it, you know. So, uh, and I went above and beyond. And he would fuss over this thing that was like the size of a dime on the original art and said, you know what, when that gets reproduced, no one's going to see that. And then he says, uh, I don't know about your dedication or whatever. I'm like, I said, I have to ink the same panels over and over again. And you're asking about my dedication? <laughs> so uh, we had this big argument on a Saturday at 5 o'clock. I'm like, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, Monday through Friday. And here we are on a Saturday afternoon. I'm like, I'm talking to you right now. And you're asking about my dedication? So uh, I don't know. Then that's when I, on Monday, I talked to Bart uh, and uh, got shuffled about. And I loved it, though, because I got to ink uh, you know, June Brigman and a few other people. And uh, that was kind of cool. But, I mean... It was neat that I could, you know, go to the art director and say, hey, this isn't working out instead of not having the job, you know? Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, yeah. so how did, for you, how did how did the end of CrossGen kind of, how did it feel to you? Because obviously, I mean, I don't know if you were there right at the end or not, but I mean, obviously there's a lot of talk at the time about what was happening with the kind of, it was imploding in on itself and people weren't getting paid, et cetera. And I'm not necessarily looking for dirt or anything like that. I just more curious, like when yeah. you, when you kind of left that, what was that like? Cause obviously you were living in Florida at that time, right? Yeah. We bought a house, you know? So a lot of us bought houses. So that, that screwed with a lot of people, but, uh, 
it's hard to explain. Uh, we have a house up here in Georgia that we never sold, and I rented it out. It's a small house. It's a little ranch house, and uh, uh, it, it's um, so I had my assistant who was up here, uh, Keith. He was such a straight arrow. I mean, he doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke. And when we I moved down there, he suggested, "Hey, get a guy rent from you." And I'm like, "Yeah." And we came back years later, and the house was pretty much the way we left it. So uh, <laughs> I got real lucky that we had, we were lucky we had a house to go back to, you know, because uh, you know the mortgage down there was not. We got lucky on the mortgage. We got an older house that was really nice. And uh, uh, but I'm trying to get back to it. I st- we started seeing questionable things like there was one afternoon it was like 2 o'clock or something that uh, the boss brought us all into the room and said look you've done such a great job of giving you the rest of the day off and blah 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 and people were like wait I gotta finish this page blah, blah, blah. and he says no you all gotta leave and uh, so that that just smacked of something highly suspicious but I can't say anything it just struck me you know that's Maybe I'm misremembering it, and uh, but we were sent home. But the reasoning just didn't sound right. But you know, what do I know? <laughs> so it was just there was odd stuff. But you know, I did I did get soured early on. I have to admit because uh, uh, I wasn't. How can I put it? The big boss he uh, did he kind of took for granted that we came from a pretty high uh, pedigree of. You know, comics. I mean, I left JLA and Nightwing to work on a book that, you know, is a small publisher, you mm-hmm. know. And I really wasn't getting paid that much. You know, I really, I should have asked for more, frankly. And uh, it was like 50K is what it was, you know. And uh, yeah, that's not a lot. But uh, that would be what I did back then for an issue and a half of stuff, which is pretty much what I did back then. I did a monthly that I would do those great secret files books you know like they would have JLA secret files and you'd get to do a couple pinups or a short story mm-hmm. and then they had those 80 page giants which had 10 page stories and DC was perfect for that kind of stuff for freelancers but uh, anyway but I just I just really felt that you know the big boss didn't respect us he felt like he took us in made us who we were and in some cases that's right I'm not going to say which artists but uh most of us, like, you know, Epting and, you know, Chung and all that, it's like we, we knew what we were doing. You know, Scott Eaton was already great, and he, you know, he stayed, he wouldn't have, he'd have been just as good as if he stayed home. You know, that's how, you know, he's, he's one of those guys who doesn't get enough credit. And I inked him on Thor uh, and Captain America in the mid-2000s, and it was, it was such a joy because he draws from his head. He doesn't copy photos all the time. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I, I wanted to ask about Scott because, yeah, like one of your first works after leaving Crosstown is with Scott. So, like, did he kind of recommend you for the gig and then you kind of got you back into kind of non Crosstown stuff and, and working at Marvel? Or was that like an editor decision? Because obviously you guys had worked together or at least well, to, actually, like nearby, I should say. Yeah, actually, we only knew each other. And I used to look over his shoulder and I was so jealous that uh, Andrew Hennessy was inking it. Uh, Andrew Hennessy's an amazing anchor that nobody knows about because he doesn't promote himself. But. At any time, he's, I mean, he does a lot of stuff for Marvel, and uh, he's done some stuff from DC. But uh, I remember being so jealous. And said, I wish I could ink his book. <laughs> but anyway, after, my first thing after CrossGen was uh, issue of Batgirl number forty-eight. And this was back with the Cassandra Cain Batgirl oh, yeah? mute, and uh, Pensler, He drew her like 
like a Scott Campbell drawing. He drew these really long, thin legs and all this stuff. And it was one of those things where the book was running late, so they couldn't really do much about it. But I inked it, and it turned out pretty good. And that was, I took that job immediately after I got laid off at Crosstown. Went home, I called the bad office, and I got that job, which was pretty flattering, you know. And uh, uh, two weeks prior to being laid off, I did get offered to do Detective Comics, and like a dummy, I didn't do it. But uh, you know, when you're it's so weird being a freelancer because you don't know what choices are going to work out. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I thought, I mean, because I'd already shown I'd been soured on on the, on the place, and I'd been reassured by other people that things will turn around. And uh, it was just a manner of keeping us there. You know, so uh, uh, after after Batman, I, I did some other stuff, but I don't know how me and Scott hooked up. I guess he maybe maybe he did contact have Tom Brevoort contact me. And uh, I loved working on Scott. You know, I did it recently in Future's End back in 2014 or 15. And uh, it's uh, I, now he's over at Valiant, but I think they go straight to color. So, but uh, mm. he's probably my favorite. Probably my favorite ink, actually. You know, why is that? What What about his pencils? Just make it more fun or easier? Or? Well, you know, he's not. Uh, he, unlike a lot of comic artists of you know, my era, you know, our era, whatever, he's not a slave to style. He can just draw his ass off and he can draw anything. You know, if he gets a reference, he could draw it well, but it's like, uh, but he's just not a slave to a style that covers up any bad storytelling. Hmm. And, and that, and it's more organic feeling. His, he, he actually was a competitive, uh, weightlifter. Oh, he wow. did like, yeah, I mean, like nationally, like he was a, like a dead weightlifter or something like that. And if you ever met him, he looks kind of like the kingpin. He's very, he's very huge, but it's like his, I don't know, I don't explain it. He's sort of shaped like the kingpin, you know. He, uh, <laughs> and but it's like it's like when I remember seeing him drawing, I remember just this big egg like hanging over a pencil, you know, because uh, you know he's just he's just huge. He's a, you think he's a badass, but he's a real nice guy and. Uh, uh, but anyway, he knows. Being a weightlifter, he knows musculature. Hmm. You know, he knows. Like when he did Odin and Thor, he gave him a broader build. Of, you know, and then he had the younger one having a regular superhero build. It's like that's what I loved. And his backgrounds were just really imaginative, and uh, especially on the Thor stories. Uh, the Cap stories were more like a goofy, fun romp that all of us did. You know, because it had. Uh, Robert Kirkman before he was the Robert Kirkman I know, uh, yeah. basically <laughs> did a four did a four issue story that had like Batroc and Hydra and stuff like that it was, it was all fun you know and uh, so we were going to stay on Thor but we had the option to go on Cap and we were like okay and uh, so now I got to work on Cap for four issues that was fun I wish I could have saved the art but you gotta make a living <laughs> <laughs> um, something I'm curious about is that so you also worked on I guess the last two issues of uh Spider-Man Human Torch over Ty Templeton, and that's a, a favorite series of mine. Uh, what was it like working on that with uh, with Ty? You know, it's funny. I was buying the series anyway, and then I got a call. I don't know if it was Brevoort. I think it was assistant Molly Laser. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, that's her. That was her name, Molly Laser. <laughs> like that's such a great name. And then she got married and ruined it. <laughs> but, uh, I just had her keep her name, keep the keep her surname, and get married. But uh, so that. I was buying it. I was really enjoying it. It was like really the first thing Dan Slott ever wrote, and it was pretty comical, but it was also 
you could tell that Slot had read a lot of the Spider-Man uh, history, you know, like with the Spider-Mobile and with all that stuff. Like the first issue was pretty much sort of like the Ditko era, then the next was like the Romita era, then later was like the Ross Andrew era, mm-hmm. and then the fourth was, you know, and then the fourth was like had uh, Black Cat in it, so it was like the 80s, and the Spidey had the black costume on. And so I enjoyed it already, and then when I got a call to do that, I was like, oh my God. Uh, and I loved Aching Tide stuff. I mean, his stuff is so fun. It is like so incredibly fun to ink. I mean, just looking at it still, it was just, uh, um, I can't describe You know, it was kind of weird though. It was good, but it was also like spoilerish because it's like now I knew how this book I was really enjoying <laughs> was going to, you know, end at the end, you know. But it, it was, it, I thought it was just a real sweet tribute to, you know, uh, Stan and Jack and Steve and all those guys, you know. And I, I wish I'd have been there from the beginning, you know, but uh, I'm not complaining. It, it was fun to be a part of. Uh, in terms of big kind of projects to be involved with, you also did uh, a bunch of issues of the, the 52 series. And I'm curious what was, that was like to kind of jump on board that kind of moving train. That was awesome. I'll tell you what. Steve Wacker was in charge at the time, and he's now over at Marvel. He he was a genius with scheduling that book. Basically, Pat Olaf and I were one of the rotating art teams and we each had five weeks to do an issue, which is unheard of in comics. I mean, usually you're lucky if you get a month. Mm-hmm. Even though even though people do monthly books, something goes along wrong along the chain, or somebody, you know, farts around too long, then you then you know you're stuck. But uh, Pat Olaf, you know, he's a worker bee like I am, and uh, Philip Pittsburgher. And, uh, mm-hmm. and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna see him this May at a convention up there, but it's, I haven't announced it yet, so you got the scoop. So uh, <laughs> they hooked, they hooked us up, and uh, we it was uh, like I said, we were like every five issues, you know, it was like that uh, our stuff would you know come out, and we did like you know issue 19, then 26, then 30, you know, two or something. It was just, but uh, and then it was it all fell into place as long as we did our work. You know, we did it well. Uh, it was just nonstop. And when I went to Chicago, uh, I don't know if it was a Wizard Con yet at the time, or it was right before that. Uh, uh, I remember some guy who really, his name's Brian Cunningham. I can't remember where I know him, but he bought like all of my art from '52. And, oh like, wow! And I, I did really well on that <laughs> that weekend because uh, uh, it it was a great series because you had all these second stringers who were in the uh, uh, that were given a lot of airtime, you know. Like I mean, it was like you know, Animal Man and you know Steel and all these others that uh, it somehow the book sold very well despite the fact that it didn't have like the big three in it. So uh, I thought that was uh, really a testament to the writing. I mean, I know it was a jam between uh, uh, Morrison, Wade, Rucka, and somebody else, uh, but yeah, it was like the best scheduled uh, book I'd ever been on. Hmm. You know, I think. Uh, Aside from the bad titles, they were they were well scheduled as well. For sure. Now I'm curious. So in and around this period, I guess a little bit later, you also worked on a bunch of issues of Green Lantern Corps. I'm just curious what that was like because that's a it's an interesting character in terms of how everything is ends up getting lit by the colorist. In terms of like that's a book where color really matters, and I'm curious how you inked over Gleason as well. It was fun. It was like I said. I mean, at that point, I you know I I did ink to page of George Perez on uh, one of those Infinity Crisis books and uh, it was shocking how easy it was. <laughs> I just remember thinking as a kid it's like, oh man, this stuff, you know, I could never do it. I was just like, eh, he's just another guy. So uh, what happened was um, 
you were talking about, oh yeah, Green Lantern I liked, but I'll be honest with you, I mean, I know it relies on color a lot, but I mean, I'm looking up at, I have a little framed cover copy of uh, Green Lantern Corps 26, where I did the cover, and it's where Mogul's in the middle, and he's being surrounded by all these Green Lanterns for attacking him, and, you know, a lot of stuff has color holds on him, like there's this big... Uh, mace, like this big mace that's attached to this long, long, long chain, and it's going around him, but the, the big problem I have with it is, if you see the black and white, it's ten times better because when people do a cover or a page, there's design involved, but if there's a color hold, it kills the design and mm-hmm. where the eyes would fall. I had this discussion with Ron Friends about 20 years ago, he, when he was on Superman, he says, I did this one panel where Superman's swinging towards the reader, and they made the swoosh into a color hold, and he goes, that completely broke up the the uh, layout uh, of the page, you know, of the, of the panel. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I'm looking up at that, and I'm seeing, I see a lot of, you know, sis boom ba fancy uh, coloring, but I don't see a lot of the underdrawing uh, because it's it's just too much. It's like, you know, it, it's almost like I'm looking at. Uh, uh, fireworks on New Year's Eve or something like that. It, it, it's it's neat, but uh, you know, layout wise, it's just kind of been shot down. So uh, that I wasn't thrilled with. But at that time, color coloring was starting to get more, uh, you know, starting to get become more and more prevalent as as now. And uh, to me, I don't think it should be a pissing match. Like you know, you do pencil, then an inker has to smother the pencil, and then the color has to show them all. You know, because they have the last <laughs> word. And that's really what it's come down to. And, and I've seen stuff where, you know, even rock, like even rocks will have like a shiny reflection on them for no reason at all, just because you know maybe a lot of colors. There's a lot of great ones out there, like Justin Ponzer and uh, uh, Laura. Uh, oh gosh, I can't think of her name. Um, Mark was Laura. Yeah, Martin. Yes, she was Dupuy when I knew her. But uh, and you know also uh, Betty Brightmeister. They both won awards. But there's a lot of these guys. They know the software, but they don't know anything about color theory, and they don't know any earth tones or any of that kind of stuff. And uh, I've done some books where the whole pay, the whole thing looked like it was done in the night because it was it. It may have been because colors they get screwed even more than inkers as far as schedules. It's mm. like. You know, if the writer's late, and then the pencil's late, and then if the inker's late, or, you know, then you're bottlenecking the colors to, to having to do it really quick with a bunch of assistants. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's uh, I mean, uh, inking's sort of taking a backseat to coloring these days, and I understand, but it, but it, to me it's a little, uh, little garish. Or I, and I think if every panel is spectacular, then it kind of takes away from when something really spectacular happens. That That's sort of my personal prejudice mm-hmm. so, makes sense yeah. now you spoke earlier that you got to work with scott again on uh, new 52 futures end i'm just curious yeah. like what was that like again i mean like 52 it was a very aggressive schedule but i guess you were just doing the issues with scott so what was that like in terms of of timing did you feel like it was as well thought out as the kind of the whacker schedule of 52 or was it a different beast altogether uh it was pretty much the same it was okay you know uh I didn't like the story as much because I mean, although I do like I did like the you know like I said the B and C characters, but I didn't really understand the purpose of uh, Future Sand. But you know, I, I dummy up about that stuff when I'm working on it. Of course, I'm not going to say, oh, you know, what about this scene? I don't know if it's working. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not my place to say. So, or if I do, I say it in my novels, my award-winning novels. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I, so I want to bring up. So what are, what are you working on now? Where can we where can we find you? Oh, well, you could find me on uh, www.drewgeracy.com, and the Geracy spelled G E R A C I. Or uh, you could find my my prose novels, uh, the demands on Amazon. I have an Amazon page, and uh, it's uh, let me see. It's it, you just look up. Drew Geraci, The Demands, and it'll show uh, my two novels uh, that are up and are on Kindle as well as uh, and they're also for uh, Kindle Unlimited that are available. And my third one should be done probably in February. So it's been two years in the making and uh, only because I've made the story harder and harder. I've, I've added more characters <laughs> and it's gotten a lot more complex. Unnecessarily so, but it, I sort to move things along, I sort of have to, you know, it's uh, like a dummy. I painted an ensemble cast, so so they just won, and uh, so I'm enjoying that. But also, I've been doing a ton of commissions lately, and I'm doing a couple other projects that uh, not so much comics. I mean, I'd like to, but anchors have sort of uh, gone the way of the dodo. It's like they uh, you see a lot of comics where it's you know uh, artists and then color artists, mm. and and that's sort of. It has more of an animation look to it, and that's the way they want to go. And I guess that's okay. But uh, you know, I'm not thrilled about it. But it's uh, I'm not going to sit there and you know fight for Inker's rights and you know <laughs> form an angry, form an angry mob or say these people are Inkerists. Uh, you know they are so <laughs> they're Inkerphobes. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, you know, but I, I'm enjoying you know I'm enjoying working on uh, on commissions. I really like is that I can really experiment if I choose to or uh, a lot I've done I've inked a lot of people I never even though I've inked a ton of people there were a lot of other people that came before me as well as new people and other people I've always wanted to ink that I've inked on commissions so that that's pretty cool you know like we all ink like a Jerry Ordway or Keith Pollard or Ron Friends or you know you just the whole you know the, the whole uh, gamut of uh, mm-hmm. artists. So uh, yeah, and that, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. So you can contact me there. My reads are very reasonable. <laughs> reads are my reads are very reasonable <laughs> and brilliant. Say that as a as a clip. So have a question. So you mentioned obviously that you've inked a lot of you know amazing people over the years. Is there anyone from when you were kind of a fan before you kind of broke into the industry that you've never had a chance to ink that you would love to have the opportunity to, or who would be kind of top of mind or top of list uh probably gil kane definitely gil kane and uh hmm there's, well, there's why, why why gil kane just out of curiosity well, well i mean he was performing i just because i grew up loving his stuff and half the time he was inked horribly <laughs> <laughs> and uh no it just uh i don't know it's just his stuff so i don't know it's so magnificent you know and uh oh, the other person i would love to ink is uh one of the Basemas. I've never inked any of the Basemas. You know, uh, that that would be great. Like, you know, the old guard, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of guys. And uh, the ones I never had a chance to. Uh, and then there was uh, my wife, who does incredible pencils. Okay, no, I just said that because I saw her a second ago. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I did get to ink Gene Colan on a couple, a bunch of commissions. And I love doing that, but uh, yeah, there's a handful that. Uh, but right off the bat, would be like, you know, Gil Kane and the Basemas, uh, those kind of guys. I would definitely be uh, all over it. <laughs> and uh, people, I just never had a chance to. Uh, I guess because they were gone, you know, they they retired before I started. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Now, to, to, before we let you go, I do want to ask a few questions about the demands. So, when did you decide I I, I can I'm a writer. I you know, I've been working in comics as a pencil as a anchor, but I actually have a story to tell, and I want to I want to write this. Like, what was that journey like for you? I got, you know I got I got not tired. I got a lot of like attaboys for when I would write stuff. Like uh, uh, even going back to art schools, like if I would write uh, something about uh, gosh I don't even know what it was like a, a study of a certain artist it's like they liked the way I would word things and they would say oh you know can you help me with mine and blah 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 and then you know I had uh, other people saying uh, when I would write a, a letter it, when I was working for this big corporation I would uh, the way I would word it I would get what I want but without looking like uh, I was an a-hole you know, it was just like <laughs> It's just, it's just like, uh, you know, I, words is, uh, when you think of people who, unsavory or savory or middle of the road, how some people use words as manipulation or leaving themselves open to uh, such, it always fascinated me. And uh, uh, I had this story a long time ago about, uh, you know, a rock band in Pittsburgh and they work at a bar, a bunch of bars owned by the Russian mob. And originally, it was going to be a superhero comic, and I started writing in 2008, and fortunately, Chuck Dixon's a friend of mine, so I showed it to him, and he goes, you know what? He goes, I love the story, but I hate the superhero. You kind of lose the superhero. And I was like, shit. So I sulked for a week, and then, uh, uh, I mean, seriously, I'd sulked for a week, and then, you know, and then I was like, you know, he's right. You know, he's, uh, he, uh, you know, he's definitely right. It's just, but after that week was over, I rewrote it. And he's like, "This is much better." But then I realized with comics, there's so much overhead. You know, the letter, the colors, the you know, the formatter and stuff like that, and the promotion that uh, I can get a lot more story done if I just write it. And uh, if you hear toenails, that's my dog <laughs> talking, <laughs> walking by. You hear chip, chip, chip noise. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, yeah, I, I just I just always wanted to write. I mean, I have notes from like. You know, I was a teenager, and I don't say I don't use them all. And it's one thing Chuck taught me, especially when he, I changed the superhero thing. That was like the biggest thing I wanted to keep. And uh, it, so I've learned to like cancel, delete entire chapters of my book if if it doesn't seem to contribute anything worthwhile. I just uh, you know, so I'm a good self editor. A lot of people aren't like that. A lot of people think like, oh, every word I write is sacrosanct. Is sacrosanct. You know, I'm a real writer the way I spin words. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, it, it just some of them get uh, overly, real overly precious. Yes, yes, and uh, I've I, I to tell you how I am. It's like I've re- done a complete rewrite three times on my third book because my editor bullied me and it, she's been doing it for 20 some years so I take her word for it and sometimes I keep a chapter two she doesn't like but then it's nothing earth shattering that affects the plot you know and I'll tweak it to make it more palatable um, so uh, yeah I, I really enjoy it you know it's just it's a whole different side of the brain you know it's like I can uh, you know I, I do that and I come up with a couple lines it just leads into each other uh, into something else and I'm just uh, it, it gives you a little tingle like oh right I solved that problem <laughs> so it's basically setting up a lot of problems and then plowing through them without knowing in advance how you're going to solve them so and I, I love problem solving for sure and, uh, yeah, yeah but I'm doing a lot of inking commissions I'm really enjoying them so 
but uh, I can't think of what else. Just uh, what's what's the the weirdest inking commission you've you've been asked asked to do? Oh God, this one guy he had a uh, drawing uh, by Dave Ross, uh, a penciler, who uh, he was asked to do Power Girl versus uh, I think Wonder Woman or something like that, and they both uh, or Supergirl, and they were both. Uh, the costumes were ripped to show, you know, the boobs and the crotch, like in everything. <laughs> oh, God. Like, and somebody asked me to ink that. I was like, you know, I work for DC right now. I don't think they would, you know, cotton to that very well. <laughs> so it just, um, yeah, it's like, like I said, both the boobs were exposed, the dimples, and you know, both the bottom crotch areas were. They were ripped open. They weren't just exposed. You know? <laughs> so, so, so it was like they were having this cat fight. I was like, oh lord, that's so tacky. You know, so it's like I wouldn't mind the money, but it's like I am not doing this. So it's not even just—it's not even just working for DC. It's just like a, if somebody saw it online, and you know, they might think, uh, "What is this guy?" A poivite? Yeah. <laughs> so, what? Um, no, when, when you do, I mean, you still do conventions here and there, right? Yeah. Yeah. When when you've done conventions in the, in the past, has there? What's the? What's the the thing you've worked on that you forgot the most <laughs> that someone actually wanted you to sign? Oh, okay, that's a good one. Um, sometimes it'll be something like a uh, uh, like I did GLX, which was Great Lakes Avengers, but they put an X in it, like X Men as a gag. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I did like t- ten pages in that, and but then sometimes people will bring me those early JLAs, and I was like, oh dear God, you know, can I buy them off you so I can destroy everyone I find? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think of the weirdest thing yeah, because I don't know. I, I just got a lot of hmm. I, don't know. I just have a flood of. Uh, uh, I, oh, you know what it was? One of them was World War Three, which was the right after Fifty Two. They did a mini series called, uh, you know, World War Three, and Pat Olaf did an issue, and I inked it, and uh, uh, that I signed that recently. I was like, I forgot all about that. <laughs> and uh, but for a while, me and Pat were sort of a team. Like we ended up doing some JSA classifieds, and we ended up doing Captain Marvel. You know. Uh, the Carol Danvers version from like 2016 or so, and uh, that was fun. It's like I can ink him forever, but he inks himself now. And uh, a lot of people use the, uh, you know, they'll ink themselves on a computer as well. So, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I, I love writing, and uh, I love inking. You know, I'm doing a, uh, I'm doing a pencil ink uh, uh, piece for of Raven. The original Raven from New Teen Titans, circa 1980. Okay, and uh, I'm really enjoying that. And uh, I, I just, I just lay it out. And a lot of times I'll start aching. I'll get like halfway there, and then I hate it. And then I'll light box it. And I'll redo it all over again. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just crazy. I, I always want the client to be happy. You know, it's just uh, there's a lot of guys who do commissions who really screw with the clients. You know, mm. so. Or they, or they do disappearing acts after they've gotten the money. You know, that, to me that's super low. You know, but uh, I mean the most thing I, fun I have is doing conventions, especially small ones because they. Uh, I, I don't want to say they appreciate you more, but it's like you know the big fish little pond thing where like I went to Pikeville, Kentucky, and I was the guy, and it's like I really enjoyed that because I could sit down and talk and you know just get to know people a little bit. It's like not everyone not everyone is so rushed, mm-hmm. and then I I'll do sketches for them and stuff like that at shows, and I sell prints, and uh, I really enjoy that because that, that's the kind of stuff where people come up and said you know I've always liked your work or whatever, and that means the world to me because it's like I've spent so many I've had cancer 
so many personal uh, plans, you know, with family and friends, uh, sacrifice a lot to make these comics. And, and, and if someone says they like my stuff, it just, you know, I feel validated, I guess is the word, the way to put it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all those late, late hours, you know, just listen to the blasting music in my earphones made it worth it. <laughs> <laughs> So. Well, it's it's interesting. So as I, I said, I guess maybe off podcast at the beginning, but like, you know, I, I was a really big fan of Crossgen at the beginning, and I actually really loved Sojourn. Um, so that's where again one place where I remember seeing your name. Um, so it's interesting to have you talk about working on that book because I've talked with Ron about it as well in the past, and uh, you know, it was a book that I really enjoyed, and I really enjoyed your work on it. And it's interesting to hear you talk about you know Greg and how his style was kind of evolving and changing, and how frustrating some of that might have been. And I, I really enjoy hearing the behind the scenes kind of stuff not necessarily bad or good stuff just hearing what it's like making comics because you know as, yeah. a, as an end consumer I could just get to see the end product but it's more, so much more interesting to find out all the interesting little ins and outs of how that book ended up being in my hands well, uh, well what was kind of interesting is I uh and the other thing too is Greg is not a bad person. You know, we just had different opinions on stuff. It's like I don't want anybody coming away from this like hating on him. It's just uh, you know we just went our separate ways. That's all. And uh, we I saw him at a show earlier this year, and we got you know you know he lost weight and he looks great. And we just talked for a few minutes. And I saw his wife, and uh, you know it was just like you know old you know like a reunion sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, you know, the thing with CrossGen though that was interesting was. Uh, uh, you mentioned something about how Greg style had evolved. You had something else you wanted to ask about cross-gen. Um, oh, I, well, I have to say, though, it's like those cross-gen issues were some of the prettiest books I've ever worked on. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll get those sometimes, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember that turned out really nice. Because right after I quit, I mean, right after I got laid off, I was pretty bitter about it for a few years. And now I'm thinking, you know, if I didn't go to cross-gen, I wouldn't have known any of these guys on a first-name basis, you know? And, uh, and now I see him at shows. Like, I'll go to MegaCon in Florida, and I'll see Mike Perkins and Chuck Dixon and Sergio Cariello. And it's just like we're old pals, you know, mm-hmm. very, ha- very happy to see each other again, you know. So that, that's, that, that I cu- that's what I take away with it. You know, that's my takeaway. I really uh, I'm pleased to call them friends. I mean, it was a major shared experience for so many people because, again, unlike working on any other comic project, you were all kind of there together, living it every day in the same place. Like, that's that has never happened really, not to that extent and that degree um, right. ever before, really. I mean, that's what made Crossing such an interesting, unfortunate kind of failed experiment in terms of what ended up happening with it. But, I mean, the idea of having all your creative people in one house and kind of working together and learning from each other and working like right across from each other is so different. Um, so, you know, it's an interesting shared experience for everyone who kind of went through that process to be able to kind of reflect on that. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, it, it, I mean, in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you did have some uh, <clears throat> some studios that were all in studio, but mostly it was like something after, like Simon and Kirby way back when, they had a whole house full of you know assistants who would ink backgrounds and do trees or even you know rural panel borders and stuff like that and it's like that was pretty common back then and that was like a job but it wasn't like you know they were all like assistants and they just threw pages around and it was no real quality control whereas with crossgen we were after every page every panel trying to do the best we could you know so uh you know you had a lot more creative people than just uh assistants you know that kind of stuff 
but uh, yeah, it's you know, I, I, it was just a weird, long, strange trip. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Drew, thank you so much for spending so much time with us today and uh, walking us through uh, some memory lanes and also talking about your your current uh, endeavors. And when is the next book coming out? I'm, I'm, I'll positively say in February. I'm, I'm feeling I'm being an optimist about it. <laughs> so, uh, but it's almost done. It's pretty much done. I just have to, you know, shine it off a little bit and then uh, then let it loose. But yeah, it'll be the first two that were available right now, and uh, they're fairly easy to go through. I have short chapters for deliberate purpose. I, uh, for one thing, it keeps the story moving, and I have a friend who said it really helped him when he read it on a nook. You know, he says it downloads a lot faster. So, oh. uh, you know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. That wasn't my plan, but uh, it's going to work out that uh, way. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I kind of uh, my, my kind of writing is more conversational, and uh, Chuck Dixon had a lot to do with that book. He helped me. He held my hand through half, most of it because uh, he knew I wanted to do it. He knew I had it in me, uh, and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. the second issue. Kick second book kicks ass. So I got to make sure. <laughs> I gotta make sure the third one, you know, does at least that. So it's getting more complex. It's pretty. Ama- like, it's pretty amazing when you, you know, you're working on something like that, and you're able to turn to someone like Chuck to to kind of help birth this project. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I owe him a lot because he's uh, well, his uh, Levon Cade series that he's the novel series he does on Amazon just got picked up by Sylvester Stallone Studios, and they're getting ready to shoot scenes. They have a showrunner and everything. Oh wow. So, uh, I can't think anybody deserves it more than he does because he uh, uh, he's just a writing fool and he you know his stuff is great to read too on Amazon you know, after you read my books that is of course <laughs> absolutely well, <laughs> well thanks again so much for spending so much time with us today hey thanks a lot.